Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you are healthy and well, but however the day may find you, welcome. It is so good to be with you. This is my first time with you all in person since the pandemic began, and you all were my very first Zoom service back when I didn't know where any of the buttons were and gave a few lines of the sermon on mute. You all were my point of transition from being in person to being also on the computer. So hello to all of you out there. And now, almost three years later, the pandemic feels different. We've learned some things about keeping safe. It's nice to see so many of you, at least from here on up. But if I'm honest, there is something about those distant early 2020 days that I miss. A certain clarity of vision that comes from crisis. Or maybe that's just the fogginess of invented memory. And my family has, thank God, avoided the death or even serious illness of anyone close to us. Something rare and precious with more than a million dead in this country alone. But in this, I don't think I was the only one. This was a moment when we saw those whose work meant they were on the front lines. On the front lines of something they didn't ask for, and without the protection, stability, or compensation that reflected the risks they were forced to take. We saw volunteers cropping up all over in an effort to make things better. We saw people thinking about others, wanting so badly to come out of this time with stronger protective measures for all of us, with more equal distribution of power and wealth, with better health care, wanting to create a more just and loving world for everyone. And those days seem distant now, two years later, two and a half years later, with so many layers of politics and pride and so many different meanings given to the pandemic. But then there was a moment of clarity. And then there were those of us like me, for whom the days were just sort of different. Not on the front lines, not trying to take advantage, but still living through it. Just sort of muddling through. I found myself trying to be useful in the ways available to me. The garden at my parents' house got into great shape. The baseboards were extremely clean. The back of the fridge even got wiped down. The car got vacuumed. Not that you could tell. If I couldn't be useful at work, I was going to be useful at least here in my home. And it's that instinct toward usefulness that I want to look at this morning. At the need to be useful, to be seen as useful, to see ourselves as useful to look at who gets to decide what is useful and what usefulness makes us worthy of.
Now, I get that we have to do things. I get that people need to do things to earn a living. I get that tasks have to be done. The children need to be fed, the dogs walked, the rent paid. But in some ways, that's the point. All those are things for others, for the kids, for the dog, for the landlord. And others decide whether we've done it enough and done it right. When I was first coming of age, Bill Clinton's promise to end welfare as we know it was on the assumption that usefulness is a fair demand for a society to make in exchange for financial assistance to the poor. And so work requirements were strengthened. The whole thing was a conversation about whether the people receiving welfare, stereotyped mainly as black women, were being useful enough to deserve it. Usefulness is why, at the height of the disruptions of the early pandemic, Andrew Cuomo, when he was still governor, said that if people can't afford to pay their rent or buy groceries, whether they're healthy or at risk, they should just go get a job as an essential worker. The things of life, the basic human things, only go to the useful. The ones who are useful by the standards of the governors, or the bosses, or the teachers, or the parents. People who can't be of use shouldn't be given things, because the price of human life is usefulness. Even preaching is sometimes about usefulness, about making us the worshipers into the right kind of person to be ethically useful, useful for the advancement of justice, useful to others, useful to ourselves. My typical self-effacing response when somebody compliments my sermon is, I'm glad it was of some use. The purpose of a sermon is to form us for usefulness in particular kinds of ways. As better, more ethical people. As people more equipped. Certainly, that's how I usually think of my preaching, around how we, you and I, should be in order to be of use. Unitarians and Universalists have always been famously a useful people. It's one of the things that even theological opponents have come to admire and respect. The constant activity and thought and usefulness of Unitarian Universalists in working for good. The gray and teal hymnals both are filled with warnings to avoid quietism or passive religious faith. There is no section for uselessness. The Marge Percy poem we had as our reading is a paean to useful people, the people she compares to oxen. Or you may have heard this famous quote from Marion Wright Edelman, service is the rent we pay for living on this earth, for being. 
It is the very purpose of life and not something you do in your spare time. The full quote gives more context, but this is the line that gets repeated over and over. Service is the rent we pay for living on this earth. And I understand the spirit of this, I do. And the kind of response to gratitude that it's trying to cultivate. But as much as I love Marion Wright Edelman, I don't think I can get on board with the idea that God or the cosmos or whatever it is that brings us to life is best understood as a cosmic landlord who demands rent from us. So here is what I propose. A rent strike. A rent strike on the idea that we need to be useful, to have earned our place on the earth. People shouldn't have to be useful to have housing and food and health care. And maybe this sermon could stop there. But if, even if people should have those things when they're not useful, I myself at least aspire to usefulness. I caught myself not 10 minutes ago on my phone right here adding something to my to-do list. I still aspire to get things done. So I think we can say even more. It's not just that uselessness is okay. It's that uselessness is something we need. Because anything useful can be put to use. And human beings were not made to be used. So let's go further. Maybe what we need is to stop being useful, to cultivate uselessness, that we should try to be useless, to treasure and prize our uselessness. That's a way we can be sure to be treated not like a means to an end. Now, the point here is not just to take time off. I am not talking about leisure time. Listen carefully when people talk about leisure, and you may notice the same thing I do, that time off, leisure time, is talked about in terms of its uselessness to the times that aren't leisure time. Take time off so you're a better worker. Take a break from the kids so you can be a better parent. Get some help with caretaking for a relative so that you can come back and be a better caretaker. Rest your eyes so you can be a better participant in Zoom meetings or Zoom church. Rest up. Not because sleep is a glorious and godly gift, but because you have to work in the morning. Not leisure time. Not time off. Uselessness. Time and activity or inactivity that cannot be justified. Because human beings are always more than what's useful. Human beings are not in need of justification. 
The productivity that is counted and countable is not the full measure of a person. And cultivating our uselessness is a way to insist that we always exceed what can be made to serve a purpose. The inherent worth and dignity of all people means we've got to feel our worth and dignity, especially at a time that a consumer, workaholic, and capitalist culture tells us that we are in danger of losing that worth. The moments when we are no damn good to anybody. Jesus said that unless you are like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And having my children has been a great lesson in biblical interpretation. Because children, especially little ones, are the best at this. You can make your kids learn, you can develop curricula, binders of activities, but the truth is that the reason for children to play is because they're human beings. Not because it's good for their cognitive development or their verbal skills or their hand-eye coordination. Sheer silliness is a muscle, a useless one to exercise, and it's great. So I want to try something. Let's exercise that useless muscle. Turn to your neighbor. If you have a companion at home or someone in the seat next to you, an animal with you via Zoom, or maybe just yourself, turn to someone and do something silly. If you need inspiration, try a chicken noise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go make a chicken noise at Ember while you guys go. Go, do something silly. Did everyone get a chance to be silly? So let's be no good. Let's do something like a chicken noise in church that cannot possibly be justified. Play instruments we'll never master. Spend afternoons dodging expectation. Make mud pies and dance, not in front of a mirror to see how it looks, just dance to feel how it goes. Uselessness is how we know. In the old saying I learned visiting a church I used to organize with, that we will have our worth and dignity because the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. May it be so. Amen. Welcome everybody to our Getting the Message segment where we dive a little bit deeper into the themes of the message that you just heard. Uh, and I'm so excited. This was a, a great message for the moment. You know, you never, you never know what to expect on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, and I was really excited for a guest preacher with a really uh, great insight into thinking about usefulness. And I'm, I'm just so excited to dive into this a little bit more. Uh, so first of all, I want to introduce my guest, uh, Benjamin Van Dyne, who is our guest preacher on Sunday, November 27th. 
which we will pretend that this is the day that we are recording that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. It's a beautiful nice. Sunday here in New York City. Yes, beautiful Sunday and definitely not the Wednesday before. Yeah. Um, so, Benjamin, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, my name, as you said, is, is Benjamin Van Dyne. Um, and I, I do lots of sort of little things. I am in a theology PhD program at Fordham University where I write about concepts of race and personhood. Uh, I also organize both professionally and as a member of my local with the Communications Workers of America. I have two kids. I teach some classes as an adjunct. Uh, and then I also get to go around and um, hang out with people like at Fourth U and do some, some guest preaching and teaching and, and talking. So it's very good to be here with you. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know. Yeah, a lot of useful things, actually. Um, yes. See, we're keeping on keeping on theme. Yeah. <laughs> so I really liked, you know, this this framing of thinking about how um, during the pandemic we we had essential workers, we had um, we kind of as a society like stopped and were like, oh, what what exactly is work? Who exactly needs to be doing it in person? Um, and you know, we, we may have kind of left a lot of that behind now. Um, society quick to rush back to normal uh, yeah. instead of stop and think. But, you know, there was really this moment where we we had much more of it, maybe an appreciation for healthcare workers, for those working mm -hmm. in grocery stores. Now in 2022, maybe we're not perhaps doing the best at that as a society. Um, but for a moment, we had to really stop and think like, what is the work that, that keeps this going? I know um, in some conversations I had with people, um, I think it was even before the pandemic, there was talk of, of, a, of a truck driver's strike. Um, yeah. And I said, you know, that is something that truly would bring the country to its knees because people who don't think about behind the scenes don't realize like how the stuff just magically shows up at their grocery store or yeah. at their favorite retail establishment. Yeah. Um, well, and as we record this, the, the, yeah the freight rail workers have voted down the their the deal that was negotiated by the Biden administration they may go they may well they may well go on strike right. Uh, right here before Christmas so we're facing a similar sort of thing in the next few weeks right people people don't realize the uh, the frailty of these supply lines of, yeah it's these supply lines are not just magical mythical hands of the market but that they yeah. are people's lives um, and the pandemic kind of woke us up to that a little bit I think as a society yeah um, so, um, but I really liked the framing of thinking about, um, about usefulness. You want to, I mean, do you want to, you want to dive into this a little bit? Like, yeah, I mean, I think what, what got me, it, it was the pandemic that originally got me thinking a lot more about this, both because of the ways that, uh, usefulness was demanded in like a particular way by people with certain kinds of jobs, with uh, especially like jobs in healthcare and really low wage jobs that really do form the basic infrastructure um, in um, the basic infrastructure of, of our lives, right? Regardless of our own economic position. Um, but also because I think for those of us that were not in those jobs, the pandemic was a time when the kinds of usefulness that we normally felt um, like wasn't possible, right? Like we were at home, we couldn't go into the office. And I think, you know, over time, a lot of us adjusted to remote work or things like that. 
But there was this season really early in the pandemic where I was just sort of at home all the time. Um, and it, I, I was surprised by, by the degree to which not being able to be useful in those ways felt like a challenge to my identity. Uh, not just, I mean, obviously, you know, there's the stress of the pandemic and all that, right? But, but there was also like not being able to work was stressful. And that was surprising to me because usually, usually I think of stress as something that comes from having to work, right? Having deadlines, having a to-do list a mile long, right? And not having that stuff, having stuff get canceled, having a, a free day uh, that wasn't just like the weekend resting up for something, but it was just kind of like this indefinite period of time where like, am I ever gonna be useful at those kinds of things again? Um, was like weirdly stressful and weirdly like this existential challenge. So that was my original interest in it, right? Is, is the ways that usefulness was, was characterized in the pandemic. And as you say, I think like some of that exact language maybe we've lost a little bit, but it continues, you know, it, it, has, it has roots much earlier. Um, and, and it continues, I think now in the ways we talk about sort of who's worth protecting and who's worth helping. Uh, no, I when when the pandemic did start, so I, I was in Vietnam when the pandemic started. And actually, in the interviewing process, um, uh, one of my first, I think it was either my first or second interview was right after Fourth U had gone online. Um, and uh, so we've been dealing with it for a few months prior in Vietnam. But when it started in Vietnam, and I was thinking about the U.S. Uh, right before we had gone to Vietnam, um, I was in between jobs, and I had to work in the dishroom at a hospital and in retail at Target. And, yep. and I, when, when everything started to hit the fan, I was like, wow, I am really glad I am not in either of those jobs because I would have to be out getting exposed every day because those would have been yeah. things that were, were classified as essential. And so when I came to fourth and I had the ability to be online, it really did feel like this huge privilege to be able to, to have that space. Yeah. But there was also the sense of what you're talking about um starting a new job in a completely new place where I knew nobody um yeah. and that I was kind of disconnected from even my past in the U.S. because we had been in been abroad so we we dove in and I didn't I didn't know how to be useful like I had to figure out how to navigate a whole new position in a completely new context yeah <laughs> so very much like that first year like it was like I need to like pretty much have some like an event every day and have something going because I want to feel useful. Right, um, like I've got to schedule a Zoom happy hour because if I don't have something to do, right? right. Uh, you know, I, I think about like a lot of people like four Zoom happy hours in, I was like, okay, a Zoom happy hour kind of sucks. But, you know, like, but, but yeah, like there was, even when it was sort of social stuff, it was like, how can I be useful right. to other people? Um, I'm also thinking about the like, uh, you know, because today in the sermon, I, I framed a sort of like a rent strike in terms of the, the rent that Marion Wright Edelman says we, you know, pay for being on the earth. Uh, but there was also in the pandemic, like talk about a real, like literal rent strike. That is people coming together to not pay their rent on the theory that you can't evict everybody. right? Uh, because so many people were out of work, especially like lower wage workers who depended on physically being at their jobs in order to get the hours they needed to get paid. Um, and that, you know, part of the reason that so many of those workers, I mean, healthcare maybe is a different kind of thing, right? In terms of like restaurants and things like that, like part of the reason they had to be out 
and working was because they had to pay rent, which for a lot of people in New York is 30, 40, 50, 60% of their other income goes to rent. Um, and so the, the framing, I remember, uh, you know, when Andrew Cuomo was governor during the pandemic, and he was asked about, you know, canceling rent, canceling mortgages. And his answer was, well, if you need more money, go get a job as an essential worker, right? That, that is, now the end result is the same, right? In terms of either your rent is canceled or you have a way to pay your rent. Either way, like your, your rent is covered, right? The difference is that if you're a low wage worker in that position, what Andrew Cuomo was saying is you, you have to go be useful to deserve a place to live, right? You have to, you know, if you, you know, we can't do that for you, you have to go be useful. Never mind that nobody's going to the restaurants, never mind that, you know, that you're getting exposed to, to COVID, right? What makes it work, what makes you worth having a place to live is the fact that you go to work, right? And, and that I think is a, uh, it's a revealing moment, right? Um, that it has roots a lot earlier, right? I mean, this was the rhetoric around the 1994 welfare reform bill, right? Like poor people shouldn't get help unless they're, you know, like work requirements started to become a more serious part of, of helping poor people um, in, in the deal struck between Bill Clinton and the Republican Congress. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, it, it has those deep roots, but the pandemic was this moment where the mask sort of came off some of it, I think, um, even among, even among politicians that are like ostensibly on the left or center left, um, you know, like this ideology of usefulness, I think sort of has tentacles in lots of, in lots of different places. Right. There was, there wasn't any willingness to, 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 yeah, to think through the alternate, alternate ways to approach the pandemic. It was, you know, either we, we just functionally change things just enough that we squeak through this and, you know, hence the, the rush to return back to normal. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if, if it, our, much of our economy is predicated on just constantly spending and being out doing things and right. they, they could, they couldn't slow it down and say, actually, right. sure. Enjoy um, a year off rent. I mean, we, we see it with um, conversation around the, um, the student loan cancellation sure um, yeah you know and that um all these people are just like oh you shouldn't have taken them out like they yeah. <laughs> it's just a a complete unwillingness to see um the the burden that these things have placed in people's life and they're basically saying like well you know be useful um be yeah you, you should have gotten a real job instead of one of those fake degrees yeah. about about gender studies or religion, man, you got don't get those. Oh, yeah, no, never study religion. Yes, never <laughs> study religion. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's right, and I think in some ways the question of usefulness is like one one part of this larger question of deserving, right? Like who deserves to live a good life, and that is, you know, we could spend hours talking about like where that comes from, right? But I think it's it's. Uh, it's about usefulness, it's about race, right? In a way that is like, you know, sort of stereotypes of certain races as lazy or like not willing to work hard, right? Like that, uh, you know, that's linked to the question, like links the question of usefulness and the question of race where, you know, why, why according to this ideology do like 
white people deserve to be protected and have their mortgages covered or whatever so other people don't, well, it's because they're harder working, right? They're, they're more useful. Uh, those other races are supposedly like a drain on society, right? Like that's the ideology. Right, even though, uh, even though there's such a, like as somebody who has worked in these essential fields, yeah. like even though they tend to be lower class, much more diverse um, groups of people working there, it's the, you know, their people are seen as lazy for working those kind of jobs, even though they're the ones keeping the, the, the world functioning. Yeah, yeah, and we, we had this, um, this like very brief moment, I think during the pandemic when there, when there was at least in terms of the rhetoric of it, an acknowledgement that like, okay, actually like, you know, picking up the trash in the trash truck is like, that's essential work. <laughs> Uh, and should maybe even be compensated in a way that like reflects that it's essential work or like washing dishes or like retail work or grocery store or like those are things that um, that really matter in terms of keeping think of things functioning in a way that like, uh, I don't know, like preaching is not essential in the same way. Right? <laughs> uh, so I think, but, but, I, but I think like now, we we're like losing track of that a little bit um you know it's like i i spend way too much time on twitter right and twitter now is in the um uh is in the throes of having just been bought by elon musk and you know there's lots of drama or at least it seems very dramatic to those of us that are on twitter all the time even though maybe the rest of the world doesn't care uh but one of the things that that you see is this sort of uh, conviction by the people that really love Elon Musk that the reason he's the richest man in the world is that he just works that much harder. He's like more useful than everyone else. Uh, and uh, whatever else, like even if, even if you accept that frame of the question, I'm not sure that anyone is $44 billion more useful, right? Like than the people that work for them. But let's let's set that question aside for a second, right? Even just the fact that like how useful is he is the question we ask. Right? Is is a way of asking like who deserves political power and economic power and self-determination. Not even to mention like a safe place to sleep and food to eat and right I mean that's uh, the fact that, you know, we've almost already lost an argument by the time we're arguing that no, he's not $44 billion worth of useful, right? The fact that we let useful be the thing that matters, um, as opposed to saying, no, everybody should be fed, everybody should have a house, everybody should have a share of self-determination in their economic and social and political lives. Um, it, it, it occurs to me like maybe we need to refuse the terms of that question, right? How useful is he? I don't care. Nobody should have that much more power than everybody else. And you know, if we're if we're talking about the the privilege to be lazy, everybody deserves yeah. uh, the privilege of. I mean, I think the the early labor framing um, was eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, and eight hours of rest. Um, yeah. You know, that, that everybody deserved all three of those, that everybody deserved the ability yeah. to have, to just enjoy life and to um, to not be constantly going, going, going. You know, so many of these 
quote unquote lazy people um, are working two jobs and have completely, you know, schedules that are completely out of their control yeah. with no regularity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, then, and, and then even the, the leisure time or the rest time that is given is given precisely so they can go be arrested to be back to work, right? right? Um, but even, and I, I mean, I do this too, right? Like I have to go to sleep early tonight because I have to get up in the morning and work, right? I wanna be well rested so I can do this. Um, you know, if I don't have a good Thanksgiving weekend break, I'm gonna be not able to be a good teacher in the last two weeks of the semester or whatever, right? Like that, as opposed to just like, I don't know, sleep is good, like rest is good. Um, the same you way know, we, the, we monetize our hobbies now, like the, yeah, you got to become a. I'm doing this hobby because you know I want to become an influencer of um, right. Like I've taken up woodworking recently, and you know I find myself woodworking like, influencer. Ooh, should I open an Etsy shop? Like no, what if I just enjoy this? Right, right. Um, yeah, and I think there's this, uh, you know, the oh, um, was it Hillel? And it was one of the, the Jewish sages, right? The expression that the Sabbath was made for human beings and not human beings for the Sabbath, right? That is to say that like the, you know, human beings are entitled to like rest and in the Jewish context to sort of meditate and glorify God um, for its own sake and for their own sake and not because it's in service of some human project, right? Um, it's just it's just there. It's it's for us, right? By by virtue of being human beings, and for no other reason. To me, that feels like a solid spot to to end. Like to, to think, close with this thought about rest. I think that that yes, that feels good. I am so thankful for this chance to sit down and chat with you and to have you come. Yes, same. It's us. always good to see you and to be with the folks at Fourth U. Yes, and thank you all for tuning in. Yes, I'm gonna go take my post church nap nap on today, which is definitely not Wednesday. Mm -hmm.